The new sermon series is entitled Living Well Together, and that title was chosen very purposefully. Uh, We are in a state of affairs in our denomination where conversations have turned into arguments one way or the other. And there are many who are of the opinion, regardless of which side they're on, that their side is right. It's one of those uh, situations that becomes dysfunctional at best. Uh, This is a conversation that's been going on for ages, it seems. And it seems that our denomination is in search of itself. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, um, I want to just encourage you to do some reading and some thinking uh, to get on the Internet and uh, type in the words United Methodist and just see what comes up. Um, It is, uh, if it's not on your radar right now, it certainly will be. Um, In fact, it not only will be uh, because of your own uh, Google searches, but also because um, over the course of this next year, uh, this uh, matter will be brought to national attention in news, uh, church in search of itself. It is my hope that uh, we can do so amiably and that we can even find a way, it is my hope, that we can live together as one people and be one church. Now, the bishop is going to speak about this on the 20th, and so I encourage you to be there if you have that time available. Uh, He will be talking about the different models uh, that have been presented to the Council of Bishops, and the one particularly that the bishops are encouraging the denomination to fall in and and support. Um, But there are still many, many opinions about this matter, and I hope that you will most of all commit it to prayer. Uh, To me, this is an issue that is very, very connected with the scripture that has just been read. In fact, at the very end of that passage of scripture, I hope that you were paying attention uh, because these words should not be lost on us who are in so, so much need of them. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. It is not possible for me to engage every different uh, idea that um, is floating throughout this passage. And so for that reason, I will focus in on one in particular that I think is absolutely critical, absolutely critical to the way in which uh, the conversation continues and I hope will uh, be the case here at Pittman Park as the denomination uh, talks about this more fully. Coco the gorilla died about six weeks ago. I would not have known this had I not gone to see just recently the documentary on Mr. Rogers. Have you heard that there's a movie in the theaters entitled Won't You Be My Neighbor that chronicles his life? Uh, Sue and I took this movie in, and it is just fascinating. It will leave you in tears. Um, I hope that you will take the opportunity to see it, um, if not in the theater, at least on Netflix in the coming days. It really is fascinating. Mr. Rogers um, is this ordained minister who sought to live in out his mission field on public television. 
Uh, even though he was not using the word Christ in the midst of doing his work, uh, every day he committed uh, prayerfully the things that he did and sought to love children in a way that would be the way that Jesus Christ loved children. In this documentary, uh, we learned that that. Fred Rogers goes to visit all kinds of people in his show. He will visit a police station or a fire station. He'll talk with people that are in, uh, in manufacturing and, and do so inquisitively. But in this particular scene, he visits Coco the gorilla. And uh, this is the gorilla that I read more about and discovered that, that he died just six weeks ago. Coco had been especially trained by his keeper to communicate with American Sign Language and knew, this is hard for me to believe, but is said to have known a thousand words. That is incredible. I mean, it is just hard to believe, but when you see him on film, you get an idea that he really is communicating. In fact, as he's doing the, the sign language, um, the keeper is interpreting and Mr. Rogers is there and sitting on the floor with Coco. And it is just amazing to see them. And Coco is just, just so glad to see Mr. Rogers. Who wouldn't be, right? But who, he is just so glad to see Mr. Rogers and, and come to find out, I read after the movie, as I was doing this little bit of research on Coco, I learned that Coco had watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood since he was an infant gorilla. Every day he had grown up with Mr. Rogers and for Mr. Rogers to show up in the flesh was something beyond what he could imagine. This was a life-size Mr. Rogers. And it was just so fascinating as he would point to his heart and point to his lips and he would speak to Mr. Rogers that he liked him, that he loved him, and that he hoped that he would come back to visit. Well, he'd only been there just a few moments and he was already worried that he would have to have this point of separation. And of course, you know, the gentleness with which Mr. Rogers operates. Um, it's just incredible how gentle his spirit. But the thing that caught me off guard was that Coco was gentle. It was, it was incredible. In fact, he wanted to hold Mr. Rogers and, and Fred allowed this. He, he got close to him and he wrapped his arms around him and with great gentleness, he cradled Mr. Rogers right there on the, on the floor. And I thought, how does this happen? I mean, for one thing, if it were me, I would be scared to death. I mean, this is a gorilla. This is a gorilla. He had a huge head, a massive head, massive arms, you know. He could have crushed Mr. Rogers like that had he chosen to. But you could sense the gentleness of his spirit. And it's not something that just happens. I know this, and you know it too, because we live in a culture we live in a culture where gentleness and meekness are undervalued. In fact, just lately it seems we're losing our ground on anything that is much gentle in the public setting. 
Assertiveness and harshness, yes, for sure, those are modes of operation. And just think about all the manipulations of the politics that we have seen and will see even this year. Um, It is the rare person that comes off as gentle because it is much more the case that our candidates are spending their days thinking about how they can shoot down their opposition with whatever may be truth, you know, you know, whatever truth you would bring to it. The Greek word protes is difficult, and so the translators had to make their choices. For want of a better English word or two, they began to translate protes from the Greek into the English meekness and gentleness. But it doesn't quite fit even then. If you go to your thesaurus and look up the definition, the synonyms for meekness, the synonym for gentleness, you begin to see words that just don't fit completely with our ideas. Tame, timid, mild, bland, unambitious, weak. (laughs) One synonym is wimpish, wimpish. Now, does that fit with what you've just heard here in the Apostle Paul? I, Therefore, the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. You're not thinking wimpishness there, are you? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. This was not Paul's intent to communicate any such thing. Living with gentleness was a very positive, very positive attitude that the church needed to hear and emulate. It was critically important in his day and age, especially as he was communicating in his ministry to the Gentiles in order to guide and yet to embrace them as a part of God's holy reach to draw them in. Living with gentleness is something critically important even today that you and I need to embrace as a part of our life and our witness to those within the church and those on the outside of the church. In the first chapter of John, it's a fascinating story about how Jesus comes to John the baptizer for his baptism. And when Jesus came, it says in the scripture, the next day he, uh, speaking of John the baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, hear that again. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I would have expected to say, to to have John the baptizer say anything but that in this circumstance. Because John the baptizer is that wild and crazy guy that was always putting the Sadducees and the Pharisees in their place. You know that language, don't you? That hellfire and brimstone language that he was using there out near the Jordan River and he was putting people in their place and he was saying, you brood of vipers. What caused you to come out here to the wilderness to listen to me, you know? That's the John the baptizer that I know. 
And so if I were to suspect that he were choosing language to describe Jesus, what my mind races to is that he would have called him the lion of God, the roaring lion of God, not the lamb of God. That's too weak for what he was thinking. I mean, this is the same man that was in prison, sent uh, an entourage to Jesus in order to ask the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect another? You think about this for just a little bit. Now that fits John. John, this question about who Jesus is, but even at the beginning, you see, John was beginning to understand the nature of what God was up to and was able to see through to the very nature of Christ's heart. He is the sacrificial lamb. From the very beginning, from day one, not just at his crucifixion, from the beginning, he is this gentleness offered in expression to the world. Jesus, in fact, claims this of himself. In Matthew, in Matthew's writing of the story, he has Jesus speaking again some very difficult words to those that just don't seem to want to listen. And then he goes on to have Jesus saying what he said in so many instances to those that were hurting and those that were destitute. He speaks these words, come to me all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Beware, beware of this concept. The Lamb of God, Jesus as gentle Savior, beware of this concept because it could be your undoing. Or should I better say, it simply will change you and your concepts about what God is up to. When I was a child, we used to play a game that was called King of the Hill. Do any of you remember playing that? It was usually the guys that would get together and it didn't have to be a big hill. It could be any little mole hill anywhere. And so one of the kids would position himself on top of the hill and he would say, I'm king of the hill. It was obvious what he was doing. He was challenging everybody else who then had the responsibility of seeing if, could, if they could knock him off his perch, you know, so that then they could take his place and stand there as what? The king of the hill and everyone else. And so there was this pecking order that was put together, this hierarchy where you found yourself. I wasn't ever very high up that hierarchy as I remember it, but I, I can remember very clearly that the one who could really stay on the hill and protect that vantage point took great pride in being there. And this is not of Christ. I mean, I don't want to bash all childhood games because a lot of things have to do with one-upsmanship and who's 
in the lead. And there's a lot of fun in that. But I can remember that my brother and I used to wrestle. Um, for years and years we would wrestle. And sometimes it was fun and sometimes it was serious stuff. It wasn't fun at all. And he didn't think it was fun and I didn't think it was fun, but it was something that just had to be done. <laughs> and we did that. I mean, we did that for years until that great and glorious day came when I pinned my brother's shoulders to the floor. And then we never did it again, as I remember. <laughs> he, he, uh, he, I'm sure, thought in his mind that this was one of those one-time events, but no sense taking chances. And I was thinking, okay, I've finally gotten there. I'm somewhere in the world now, you know? All of this is not of Christ. It has nothing to do with it. And this is where I want to go back to the translation of protest because the interpretation of this, the translation of this lends itself for uh, when the translators are explaining the word um, when, as if to say that, okay, gentleness does not quite fit and meekness does not quite fit with the translation of this word, what you really need to be thinking about is power with restraint. I want to take issue with the translators on this. That, that this Greek word has deeper meaning than we would allow it to have uh, because of the one who is speaking it. The one who is speaking it is, is, is at his heart the very essence of what gentleness is. With nothing up his sleeve and with no intent to do us harm in any way, but in fact to give his life away in order that we too might see how God seeks to love the world. Oh, there's some people that get this, and she would never say it, I suppose. But Rosa Parks, you remember on that bus back in 1955 in Montgomery, when she was simply worn out. I mean, she had been coached in civil disobedience. She knew where she was at. But she was there on the bus, and when a white man came and asked her to, ex to, to shrink the size of the bus that was marked for colored people. She refused to move back a bench and not relinquish her seat. Now, of course, this was incredible because it was the beginning of a movement that literally, literally changed the culture of these United States. You think Rosa Parks did something special by choosing a nonviolent path in order to make her way known. Think about this little lady and her gentleness. She was probably not even 100 pounds, and yet her gentleness, her choice, changed everything. Think about Christ at this moment who is filled a hundred thousand times more with what the idea of God's gentleness is about. I mean, we're coming to the table to receive 
the elements and the essence of who Christ is in this bread and this juice. But do not come to this table without realizing that the story of the supper is bracketed by two important events. The washing of the disciples' feet. Our Lord getting on his knees and taking those dusty, grimy feet of his disciples in all of his meekness and his humility, his gentleness, caring for them out of his heart. And on the other side, literally giving his life on the cross for them. Is it any wonder that John says, for God so loved the world? I mean, it's obvious if you just think about it. Gentleness should define us. As Christians, it should define us. And Methodists are under the canopy of Christianity. It will change the way we relate to each other in the church and to those outside of the church. If we will ask the question of ourselves, what are ways in which I might live in order that greater gentleness might be known in this culture. God is calling us. Mr. Rogers is calling us. Coco is calling us. How will we respond?